And I'd like to begin by inviting you all um, to celebrate this day, a brand new day, thank God, of sobriety, a day where uh, God has lots of things in store for us that we don't even know about yet, um, a day where God is calling us into as much consciousness as we're able to be into at this point in our journey in life, and a day where we're encased and caught up in, in God's love and God's continued creation. And so as we move into that sort of a, an attitude or posture, I would like to invite you this morning now to say with me step three, the step three prayer, which is on page uh, 63, if you don't already know that. And uh, as you do that, maybe you could gather up the fragments of your life, whatever they might be. Uh, there might be some, um, maybe some of you have financial problems, maybe not. Maybe some of you have um, relationship problems, kid problems, job problems. Um, maybe problems that you don't even know what they're called. Those nameless ones, you know, they, f they float all over your head and into your fingernails and all those places. So what I'm inviting us all to do is to take all the stuff of our lives, take all the stuff, and sort of merge it into some sort of focus. Kind of like it were um, that our lives were full of different colors of threads or yarns. Maybe there's a blue piece over here and a red piece here, and there's a little piece of gray here and black here and white here and yellow over here, and just get it and wrap it all up in this little prayer. And say to God, Father, this is yours now. I know that you can take care of that for me. And listen to your God saying, and calling you by your name, you don't have to worry about this yellow piece because that's not going to happen until tomorrow. And the gray piece happened two years ago and it's all over. And all of this stuff of your life, I know about. I know it all. And I'm in charge of it all. And I'm your director. And it's all going to work out. So in that kind of a, an attitude or posture, let us recite uh, step three together. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Well, here we go. God's in charge of all that stuff now, so we don't even have to be thinking about it, not even once today. Isn't that grand? So if we take it back, it means that uh, we're not letting him do it for us, and we just have to keep giving it back all the time. The purpose of this weekend was to do some reprogramming, and uh, that means that we attended to the business of getting our heads focused in a, in a direction where we're doing some changing in our minds. Because what we have come to conclude as we go through our sobriety is that we're not really that interested mostly in picking up a drink or a drug. 
after we become willing to work the program as it's designed, at least that's how I've experienced it. But what we are inclined to do occasionally is go crazy. Just a wee bit, a wee bit crazy. And that means that our minds go off a little bit. Somebody said at a meeting I attended last week or the week before, they said, you, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest there. I thought that was kind of good because uh, I, I sometimes allow those birds to build a nest. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Well, we're going to move into now step 10. And I think that this program, my belief is that this program of Alcoholics Anonymous was divinely inspired because the people who knew, who wrote it, seemed to really have a tremendous understanding of our disease. They knew, and God knew as he helped them, uh, that, you know, when we would get down through all the steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, that we might get it into our heads that now we're home free, <laughs> and we can just rest on our laurels, as the book says, and not have to worry about it anymore. And what step 10 talks about is constant vigilance. It talks about, you know, monitoring ourselves and monitoring our lives and our progress and our um, conscious contact and all the different things. Now, if you noticed on Friday on your programs, and you don't have to open it now, I had written caution. We were going to be doing this today, caution. And I had written SDRF. Did any of you figure what that meant? Yes? Good girl. Golly, did she get... She's going to get the prize. <laughs> oh, oh, that's wonderful, Christy. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear uh, are the four things that we're asked to, to look at. Why don't you just talk a wee bit about those now? The first one is selfishness as in, uh, like, the ego type of person, you know, that we are. I've used SDIF as a sort of a teaching tool when I do other kinds of things, too, because I believe that those four areas are the four areas that always get me in trouble. You know, ego, the wrong kind. You know, we talked yesterday about uh, Bill W. and his uh, letter on depression, and we talked about his dependence on people, places, and things to make him happy. And we talked about the, we talked about the C word, and we believe that he would have used the C word if he had known it then, in the 1950s, the word codependency. Well, you know, this this thing about self has a lot to do with that. It has to do a lot with what we call external referenting, which means that. We are dependent on them or it or whatever to fix us. And the five, the, the little recipe we did yesterday to know if we belong in there is, first of all, I make an assumption. I assume that I know what's best for somebody else. Then I make a decision that I'm going to take care of that and I'm going to, you know, move into their lives. And the third thing, I set about doing it. And then I do do it. And then the fifth one is, then I sit back and I wait for somebody to say thank you to me. That's a sure sign that I'm into this. Ingratitude, you know, when, I, when I'm really feeling ingratitude, because God, look what I've done. Uh, when I'm into, into that uh, business of self-work, you know, I'm expecting it all to revolve around me. It's real tricky, this, because sometimes we call it responsibility, and sometimes we call it caring. Uh, there's a lady in my home group who says, be count yourself, you're not so many. I don't care for that too well, you know, but <laughs> true. You know, when we become so necessary. And if you grew up like I did, you might have a super sense of responsibility where you're responsible for the universe, like the news and everything, you know, everything that everybody's doing, that you're sort of caught into that somehow. So that's the kind of selfishness they're talking about here. They're not talking about self-care and nurturing, which is on the other end of that totem pole. 
which we do so badly because as we mentioned yesterday what we do mostly is we abandon ourselves and we beat ourselves up and we say I, I never did anything very good before I never will I, I, I never I, I'm back where I started so it's very important for us to learn how to nurture ourselves but when, when I think they're talking about in this S selfishness here they're talking about where I become the center all that material on page 60 61 62 selfishness self-centeredness self-pity all to do with the bondage of myself and uh, so the book tells us constantly to to watch out for this I would like to draw your attention though to the way this paragraph is written on page 84 you happen to have your book there I think this is a kind of an interesting paragraph matter of fact I think it's rather brilliant even though I didn't care for it when I first um, when I first read it I mean the whole book I didn't care for when I first read it but if you notice there this word here is used I think four times in that paragraph continue 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 yes it is mentioned four times which leads me to believe that um, this is not something that we do you know and get it over with and that's a, it's, it's just a continuum and it says that we continue to take personal inventory continue to set rights any new mistakes as we go along I love this any new mistakes my gosh the old ones are bad enough but they're suggesting to us that we might we could even make new mistakes how about that we vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up, cleaned up the past. We have entered the word of the Spirit, and our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. I think one of the most brilliant lines in this paragraph is, this is not an overnight matter. Slow, folks, slow, very slow. And that's where we get impatient, because I think basically we're <clears throat> we are impatient. It's not an overnight matter. <clears throat> Excuse me. It should continue for a lifetime. And then... Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And so the first one we watch for is selfishness. And the second one is dishonesty. And when we talk about that here, we're not talking necessarily about cash register honesty, even though that helps. It helps if we're not stealing other people's property. And it helps if we're not uh, trying to cheat and all that sort of stuff. But what we're talking about here, we're talking about emotional honesty. Now, we're not real good at that. We're mostly not good at emotional honesty because um, we've been brought up that way. And my goodness, how would you ever be telling anybody how you really felt anyway? I mean, gosh. Uh, when you go to the supermarket, I think I might have used this example before. It's a kind of a corny one. But when you go to the supermarket and you're checking your, your groceries out and the man or lady says to you, how are you today? What do you normally say? Fine. Everybody's fine. Jerry would never think of saying, well, do you have a half an hour so that I could tell you exactly what's going on in my life right now? And the people in line wouldn't, wouldn't appreciate you, right? And so we're used to, we're used to being okay, looking okay on the outside, because we never could get our outsides and our, and our insides to match anyhow. So why would we be letting them know anything about us? Uh, when we were probably growing up, we were always being pushed to or presented with what everybody else was doing like our cousins and our older sisters our brothers or our neighbors or whatever if you, if you have any Irish blood in you you'll certainly know what that means it's terrible you know the family my goodness the family name and other nationalities have it too I understand you know where, where you you have to live up to an image or an ideal or you have to compete or you have to be somebody my mother used to say to me when I was a kid she used to say to all of us 
always remember that you're a moor. That's her last name. And I used to think, I wonder what a moor is. <laughs> I mean, what does that mean? It must be something terrible or wonderful. You know, this family, tremendous family pride, and it's put into all your bones, and you don't even know it's been put in there, you know? And so you grow up in a kind of a posture or attitude of dishonesty, and you don't know it's that at all. You call it loyalty, and you call it uh, being steadfast, and you call it stick-to-itiveness, and you call all these things. And so it's not okay for us, often, to be emotionally honest to ourselves. And so what happens to us in the program is that we have to find a safe place and safe people with whom we can be emotionally honest. And that usually is people like in the form of a sponsor or a home group with, with which we, you know, can relate or with whom we can relate or people that we really can trust. The trust level has to start in there. And that takes a while. And if you're fairly new, don't give up because it does happen. Trust was my biggest problem when I came to the program. Very, very difficult for me to trust. I have a home group now that I really trust. My six o'clock morning meeting people. Well, I figure anybody that gets up at six o'clock in the morning to go to a meeting, they've got to be real serious about this and they're probably not going to go out and tell my garbage to anybody because they're probably not awake enough to know. And so I trust that. But, but you know, I find this about myself, this business about uh, emotional honesty is, is extremely important for me. And my two sponsors keep pointing it out to me all the time. And one of the reasons I think I have to work on it so hard is that I get to do this kind of service regularly, you know, that I'm doing now. And I get to go all over the country and the world in a kind of a way. It would be awfully easy for me to sort of stop monitoring. I am going to more meetings now. I am doing more writing now. And I'm doing more praying now. I'm doing more talking to my sponsors now than I did in the first five years of my sobriety. I really am. Because I know that I could be in danger zone. Uh, I'm doing, when I'm with you, I'm doing what's very natural to me. I'm teaching, you know, I'm sharing. That's very natural. I was brought up doing that. And I have a real sense that God's with me in this sort of stuff. But I'm also aware, it's great for me to say this out loud, I need to say this out loud, that I'm, I'm also aware that I have to continue in tremendous emotionally honest, uh, emotional honesty. And that it's okay for me sometimes not to feel okay. It's okay for me sometimes to feel sort of disconnected. And that's why the next time I come into Dallas, I'll be calling some of you to connect me. You know, when you travel a lot like I do, it's easy to become disconnected. Some of you travel, so you know that. You kind of get fragmented. And the airplanes don't do it the way they're supposed to, you know. You have to wait sometimes. Like I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and I had to wait for four hours in Chicago. And then when I got back, they forgot about me. They forgot to pick me up, this orphan, you know, in Los Angeles. God, 10 o'clock at night. Now, I don't mean the nutty bunnies forgot me. They'd never forget me. I had other plans. And the person who was supposed to pick me up, they got it all mixed up. It was a kind of a, a shuttle service, and they, they got it all mixed up. And those kinds of things disorient me. So it's really important that I'm in touch with that and I think, you know what, I'm just not all here today. And I go into my morning meeting the next day and I'm either, you know, I'm, I'm connecting again. And I always make a big point of connecting real heavily with everybody on Thursdays. Or if I don't travel until Saturday, I, on, on Fridays. And then on Mondays so that I can get connected back into the family again. I'm telling you all that because that's my experience of me. And it's so easy. It's so easy to become disconnected. 
And it's, it's important for me to say out loud to my group and to my sponsors, I'm not doing real well. I'm exhausted. I'm very tired. Tiredness is a real, oh, man, it could kill us. So it's important to, to keep on top of that. So dishonesty is the, is the thing we have to watch for. The third one is resentment, and we talked about that quite a bit yesterday. The one that's going to kill us is resentment. If we, if we harbor in our minds and in our thoughts resentments. And they don't go away overnight, I find. I didn't share this with you yesterday because I forgot, but um, I had a resentment towards somebody about, um, oh, probably about five years ago. Um, would, George, could you turn this off for a minute, please? <laughs> I'm not going to say a bad word, but I'm afraid you might hear this. But telling you that because of the fact that resentment doesn't go away totally and it can come back up again. The important thing, though, to do is to be in touch with it and to say it. And I think, uh, as the Australians say, as long as we can nime it, you know, put a nime on it, we're okay and call it for what it is instead of pretending it's something else. And then the fourth one is fear. These are the four things. Now, I think any problems that we can have at all in our whole lives are all caught up in those four things. It's a, it's a tremendous design. You can call anything. Any discomfort you would ever feel or I would ever feel could be somehow hooked up with one of those. Well, now, the next sentence says, when these crop up, which gives me to believe that they are going to crop up occasionally. Like, I mean, I thought that they would not be cropping up for me after I figured it all out. But it says, when these crop up, that says, be, you know, you're going to feel like this sometimes. And then... It gives us these wonderful... It, remember, this paragraph is real continuum. It's real slow. It's not an overnight matter. It's real, and then it gets fast. It says, when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. You know, we don't fool around with these because we can't afford to. We discuss them immediately with somebody. We don't put them on the back burner and say, oh, well, maybe it'll go away. My experience is that these things don't go away. They get bigger. They grow like the dragon, you know? They get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then if we have harmed anybody, we make amends quickly if we've harmed anybody. These are all imperative words, immediately, quickly, once. And then we resolutely turn our thoughts to somebody that we can help. That's usually a good recipe for, for getting us out of ourselves. And then we come to learn what the AA code is. Say to AA people, what's, what's the code of AA? If people do love and tolerance. Love and tolerance of other people is our code. And as I mentioned yesterday, that when we talk about love and tolerance, that means that we don't set ourselves as the judge of anybody ever because we don't know what anybody's motives are. We don't know what anybody's thoughts are. Only God knows that. That's not our business. And we don't set ourselves up to be the judge of anybody's conduct or anybody's lives because our code is love and tolerance of other people and let them do whatever it is that they have to do. And then a miracle happens. The miracle happens when we really get into step 10. The miracle for me was that I found out that <laughs> I would cease fighting anything or everybody, even alcohol. Isn't that grand? There's a fellow who comes to our morning meeting and he says, I just wish that this war would stop in my body. You know what a war in your body is? Oh, God. It's even in, in your fingers and in your legs and your toes and your neck. You know, you ever get stiff necks? Man, that's that fight in us, you know. We're great fighters. We're wonderful people, really. We really are. 
because we've got all this energy and we can put it to the right thing. It's, it's just so classy. So we cease fighting anything or anyone. Uh, if you have an opportunity this morning when you're doing your groups, um, that's a good uh, affirmation. I have ceased fighting anything and everyone. This time, for by this time, sanity will have returned. I, I translate that into the present tense and I say, sanity has returned. And I imagine my mind, you know, my, my head gets like this big jigsaw puzzle that's been all scattered all over the place. And God kind of puts th these pieces all together again. So the second promise is that sanity will be returned. We seldom be interested in alcohol or liquor. If we're tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. That's the third promise. The fourth one is, our new attitude has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. And the fifth promise is, we feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. That's one of my most favorite things. Now, position of neutrality, when I first read that, I thought, well, I don't want to be a wimp for sure. I certainly want to have my own opinions and my own ideas, and I want to be able to say what I think and all that stuff. What I believe uh, this um, promise is, when we've been placed in a position of neutrality, that means we can stand tall. We can look the word on the, in the eye and we can do exactly this over here. We can be direct, honest, and appropriate. And we don't have to crawl before anybody. We can be appropriately assertive. I never knew the difference between being assertive and being aggressive. The difference between being uh, a doormat and a bulldozer. I either had to be one or the other. I never could be in here, what this promise is talking about, a position of neutrality, safe and protected, where I can say the truth, look the word in the eye, and do whatever it is. And that means telling the truth about whatever it is that's going on with me right now. And taking responsibility for myself. It's a beautiful promise, that. The sixth promise is that the problem has been removed. Hmm? Isn't that great? God love us. The problem has been removed. Isn't it wonderful? The seventh promise is a kind of a cautionary promise, I think. It's, it is what we really have as a daily reprieve. All we have is today, the 6th of May, 1990. Contingent on the maintenance. Continued maintenance of our spiritual condition after conscious contact with God. And then the eighth promise is we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. It's getting a little different for us now. And the ninth promise is to some extent we have become God conscious. We're getting a little... There's something happening inside of our thought process now. And the tenth promise is the most wonderful, exciting thing ever. Gosh, it's such a useful one, too, for me. It says we have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. That's that whole sense of um, being energized, being alive, knowing, um, feeling, feeling that you know it's going to be okay, feeling that you know what you're going to be able to say in a given situation feeling though you're divinely protected somehow but you don't understand it but it doesn't matter but you trust it that's that wonderful sixth sense which we refer to in step 11 as intuition some kind of intuitive sense now when we're into clutter when we're into this stuff here we can't experience that we really can't when we're into being the center of the universe when we're into dishonesty when we're into resentment and when we're into fear and the fear especially that our own self-reliance will fail us when we're into any of this, we can't stop fighting, we cannot feel this intuitive sense, and we can't have this God consciousness. So it's really important that we keep cleansing and keep uncluttering and 
kind of, it's a constant detoxification, I think, of ourselves. We just have to keep on doing that all the time. As I mentioned to you last night, I sense in this group that there's a tremendous seriousness about wanting to, to do this. You wouldn't be doing this on a gorgeous weekend like you have had. You wouldn't be coming to spend time here to, to take a look at your big book again. And some of you have done this before. You're serious about this thing called sobriety and you're not taking it for granted. You're really uh, very impressive to me to see that happen. And so then what we get to do after we do that, so step 10 is a, it's a wonderful step. It's one of my favorite ones. It, it sort of keeps us on track. And then step 11, I'm just going to go through this kind of fairly fast. But step 11 is prayer and meditation. I think I mentioned to you when Helen asked a question yesterday, I mentioned to you that the next uh, retreat that I'm going to be giving is called an 11-step retreat. And it's going to be on, on conscious contact with God. And during that time, um, the participants would be um, given time to experience prayer forms in different ways and meditation. Uh, and I'm always embarrassed to tell the groups that I used to teach people how to do that, and yet I never learned how to do any of it until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous myself. I never could connect it for me. And so it was very important to me, this 11th step. I, I just love the way it works, the 11th step, too. It's on page 86 there. We read this aloud every morning at our morning meeting. And it tells, it's so practical. This book is so practical. It says, well, when I wake up, let me think about the 24 hours ahead. I don't know if you've ever heard a speaker called Keith Lewis. Have you ever heard him? He's from South, North Carolina, South Carolina. And, and he has a wonderful part in his story where he says that when he first got sober, that his sponsor told him to go to the drugstore and buy a tube of lipstick. And right on his mirror... And he was supposed to write, Keith, you're wrong. <laughs> because what goes on in my head is not always right. <laughs> you know, I wake up with the weirdest thinking sometimes. I don't know what happens because I usually go to sleep quite peacefully and everything's all right. I haven't killed anybody and I haven't said anything mean to anybody and I'm doing okay and I've said my prayers and I've done my 11 step or 10 step review. But I could be waking up, something happens to me when I'm asleep. That's why a morning meeting is important for me because, like, I can get crazy and I'm going to get them. You know, whoever they might be, it's usually the bishop. <laughs> but he doesn't know. He's sound asleep in his bed. And, uh, well, he's not near my bed for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, <laughs> that was bad. Um, but it's just... We think about the 24 hours ahead, uh, and then we consider our plans for the day. It doesn't say we start into the plotting, you know? <laughs> consider, consider is a real gentle word, you know, just kind of, you know, just gently look at kind of as we wake up, just consider our plans for the day. This is Sunday, okay? I get to be with you people this morning, and I've got to pack my suitcase again, I've got to be at the airport around by 2.30 or 2 o'clock, and got to get home and tomorrow I have a board meeting and then I went to tomorrow and say, oh, tomorrow's got nothing to do with today. We'll consider our plans for the day. And then we do the part. We, before we begin any of that stuff, we ask God to direct our thinking. Say, okay, God, you're in charge of my thinking today now. And God says, oh, be really? Gosh, that's going to be a big job for me. <laughs> and we say, God, could you just divorce us and take away any kind of self-pity or dishonest or self-seeking motives? You know, we talked a lot yesterday about what's my motive for doing anything. And under these conditions, we can 
apply, we can employ our mental faculties with as much, with as much assurance as we want because after all, God gave us brains to use. It's important for us to remember that, that when we come into AA, you know, we don't automatically become zombies. We can think for ourselves. And we've got all kinds of good stuff to help us to think for ourselves. We've got this book, for one thing. We've got the 12 and 12. We've got all kinds of other material that help us. You know, we don't have to listen to every single thing that everybody tells us. We've got our brains to use, and we've got the program. We've got the principles of the program. And the first promise is that our thought life, our thinking up here, what goes on between our ears will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. Clear out. We unclutter. Now, when we think about our day, we may face indecision. It can be as indecisive as what am I going to wear, what am I going to do, who am I going to call, it can be small things. A lot of that depends on where we're at, too, physically. Watch out for your physical life. It's very important. Watch out for exhaustion. I'm telling you that because I, you know, I forget about it. I really forget. I forget that uh, I'm 55 years old. Don't be telling anybody that. And um, I forget that there's only 24 hours in one day. I forget that um, I don't have the energy that I had when I was 35, although I seem like I have more. You know, I, I, I really have an awful lot more energy now than I ever had. But, you know, I forget that I can't do it all. And sometimes in my enthusiasm, I get, and truly it's out of enthusiasm a lot of times, I get, oh, I get, oh, yeah, let's do this. Oh, this wonderful idea. Oh, let's do it. You know, whatever. Let's go. And then I kind of get like a balloon, you know, and I, God, I'm exhausted. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, I usually get up in the morning around about a quarter to four. That's my time for getting up. And then I go most of the day. But um, I'm, I've been learning in the last year, since I saw you last year, I've been learning to take occasionally, oh, mind you, it's really occasional, but I've done it. Uh, I've learned to take occasional guilt-free naps. Oh, they're great things. Now, you can do them with, with lots of guilt, if you're me. But if you can take a guilt-free nap, God, it's a wonderful thing. Twenty minutes, you know, just without having to explain yourself or apologize or ask anybody permission. <laughs> and nobody ever told me I couldn't do that, but, you know, I have this thing standard for me. Uh, we're real hard on ourselves, and I pass all that I think that I'm hard on myself on to you, so that it gets less then. It, it becomes less. Uh, and then we ask God for inspiration when we're not sure what we're supposed to do, and we ask Him for an intuitive thought or decision, and then we relax and take it easy and we don't struggle. Now, did you ever hear such nonsense in all of your life? <laughs> relax and take it easy. For us, you know, relax and take it easy and don't struggle. <laughs> not easy. Not easy to do any of that. But we're surprised often how the right answers come when we've tried this for a while. Because what used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. One of the classic gifts of the program. And the, the next promise, the fourth one, is at the bottom of, of uh, the first paragraph on page 87. It says, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more in the plane of inspiration, and we come to rely upon that. At the bottom of the page it says, what, what do you do when you go through the day? It tells you what you're supposed to do when you wake up, what you do when you're indecisive and you can't figure it out what to do. And then when you go through the day at the bottom of page 7, when you become agitated or doubtful. I told you about my bank agitation, my post office agitation, by, you know, different things that will be happening to me now in the next week or so. My bishop will be reviewing my budget and I'll be agitated if he doesn't let me go to Rome in March. And I'll be delighted if he doesn't too, but, you know, whatever. I, I, I couldn't be pleased one way or the other. I'm not that keen on going, but on the principle of the thing, he should let me go anyhow. <clears throat> you know what I mean? <laughs> he can't hold the poor guy. So I, I'm likely to get agitated now in the next couple of weeks. I'm likely to get agitated you know, today, even at the airport, if they don't do it the way they're supposed to. 
to have him give me the seat I've asked for. God forbid. Anything. Can, little things can just throw me. I mean, like I can be, I can really be touching God, folks. Listen, I can. And I can be so serene. I can, oh God, I can feel like velvet, you know, such a smooth and pleasant. And <gasps> something happens. I can just go through the roof. The only difference between that now and that 12 years ago is that most of the time, most of the time, not, not always, but most of the time, I don't have to act on it. You know? That's the only difference. But I automatically go through the roof. And what the book tells me is that I have to remind myself constantly that I'm no longer the boss here. I'm no longer running this show anymore. I have to say to myself many times each day, just not once or twice, that I will be done. God, this is your deal. You know, I am your kid. You are my director. You are my employer. You are my father. You are in charge, God, you know. And then the promise comes. Man, what a promise. We are then in much less danger of excitement. I said to my sponsor one day, what's excitement? He said, it's when you're spinning your wheels, see. You know, you're just looking for some little out there somewhere to get you fixed, you know. You're not, you're just on the edge. Love living on the edge. Isn't it fun to live on the edge? Fear, the kind of fear we talked about this morning. Anger, not that we can't get angry, but the inappropriate expression of our anger and the unresolved anger. Worry. The what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I don't do this? Self pity. Poor B. No. Poor B. She's such an orphan. Uh, I had a real orphan experience about three or four weeks ago. I, I, I arrived. I forget where it was now. I tell you the truth. But um, anyway, the gentleman who invited me to come and speak at a conference, uh, he said he would meet me at the airport, and he said to me, "I said, well, how will I know you?" And he said, "I'm bald." <laughs> and um, I said, okay, that's fine. Well, when I got off the airplane, there were three bald men, three, standing there. And so I went up to each of them. I said, are you Michael? No, I'm not. Are you Michael? No, I'm not. Are you Michael? No, I'm not. So these three bald And so here's Orphan B standing there looking for a bald man. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll go down as far as luggage and see if, you know, I usually don't have luggage if I'm just doing a conference. And so anyway, there was another bald man standing there. And I said, are you Michael? And he said, well, yes, I've come to get you. And I said, I said, Michael, this place is full of bald men. A lot of bald men here. But at airports, I go into my abandoned self-pity mode real easily, you know. I, I automatically do abandonment. And foolish decisions, you know, foolish decisions. And the, the one that I always wanted, gosh, I worked so hard to do this. I worked so hard to do this. And it says, we become much more efficient. When we let God do God's thing. We become more... Now, that doesn't make sense to me, folks. It doesn't make sense. That doesn't make much sense at all. Because I figure that I have to be in there, stirring up, turning, fixing, uh, arranging the lights, the valley, according to... And the book promises me that I'll be much more efficient and that I won't get so tired. I'll have more energy because I'm not burning up energy foolishly. See how we use energy here? Foolishly, as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. Now, just before I close this little session, I want to tell you how upset I was with the next paragraph, the beginning of the next paragraph. We alcoholics are undisciplined. And I thought, not me, not me. I swim 200 laps every single day and 400 laps when I have a chance. So I am not undisciplined. I have everything. I know where everything is in my room. I, I'm organized, you know. I'm not. Read the next sentence, which says, we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. It's almost too simple for me. And what that means is that I have to let God discipline me and do what it says at the bottom of page 86. I have to let God say, be it's okay. 
If you ask me for an inspiration or an intuitive thought or a decision, all you have to do now is relax and take it easy and don't, don't struggle. That's discipline for me. That's the kind of discipline that, that, God's, that the book is talking about. And to be in touch, to be in this conscious contact. <coughs> what I plan to do with the retreat I'm doing on the 11th step is that, you know, I believe that we can't have contact with God <laughs> until we have some degree of consciousness. And we have to have a degree of consciousness with ourselves, you know. We have to know what's going on. And we have to get into this thing here called emotional honesty. We have to be able to put a, a name on it. And there are a lot of variables involved. Lots of, of variables. And this will not be pertinent to the program per se, but I think it's important. I think uh, a lot of things have to do with how we sleep, what kind of rest we get, what kind of food we eat, what kind of exercise we do. You know, I think it's, I think it's all involved because I think God made us like whole people. And I think we get fragmented there along the way somehow. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to move into our groups. And um, it kind of looks like uh, perhaps what I just invite you to do this morning would be to um, share the promises of steps 10 and 11. And I, I see that um, I'm not going to have you write any affirmations because we're running a wee bit short on time is we're going to take a look at some of the promises of step 12 and then we're going to enter into what we call uh, the gratitude circle or a meditation together and um, then close with that, close with a, a meditation. As I mentioned earlier, it would probably take me a whole morning to, um, to take care of step 12. And when we move into... The Excuse me for interrupting, but since you're going to close with that, let me remind everybody that George has tapes of the whole workshop, and there's some people that haven't been around this morning and they want to buy the tapes. Oh, okay. And they'll be for sale right after the, uh, right after the close of the meeting. Okay, thank you. David, yes? Yeah, I think uh, I mentioned this earlier, for those of you who weren't here, that we would have this last session only. Uh, without smoking, if you could refrain from that, since it's going to be a kind of a meditation and to respect those who don't want to smoke. Jim? I've got a question. Uh, will the tapes be available after today? Okay, thank you. Okay. So, what I'd like to do is just zip through the promises of Step 12. And as I mentioned earlier, there are 25 in the big book. There are 25 of them. I'm not going to do all of them. I'm just going to tell you the pages they're on. And um, then in the 12 and 12, there are 70. So that means there are 95 promises as the result of having, of having worked these steps and the result of this is a spiritual awakening. Sometimes when we think of step 12, immediately we think of doing 12-step work. At least I did for a long, long time. But actually, the first thing that happens when we get into step 12 is that we wake up. We become conscious. And that's a whole new thing for us because uh, we're not aware of that as much as we, we thought we were. So we become a little bit more conscious. I just think I'm just going to tell you the pages that you can find them on. On page 89, for those of you who might be interested in looking them up yourselves, on page 89 there are about four promises, and one of them is that life will take on a new meaning. And those of you who have been sober for a while or for a short time will know that that's absolutely true. There's one on page 99, and then there's a marvelous one on page 100. I just love it. I want to read it to you. It's one of my most favorite ones in the whole book. It says, When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Some of you will really endorse that, right? It's 
truth. When we put everything in God's hands, when we wrap it all up, and we let, let, let God take care, take care of this, then it takes God really works it out for us better than we ever could have worked it out for ourselves. And then uh, also on page 100 it says, if you persist, if you keep on working this program, remarkable things will happen. And then there are two more on page 100. And then on page 102 there's one, page 103 there's one, and on page 152 there are about eight or nine. Wonderful things like you'll escape disaster, you'll make lifelong friends. For people like us, we're so lonely. Life will mean something at last. You'll be bound to these people with new and wonderful ties. You'll commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey, so on and so forth. Page 164, there are about four or five from a vision for you. Uh, like God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. And I think I shared some of that with you as I went through this weekend, how God is constantly disclosing to me, for example, the kinds of, even the kinds of weekends that I'm supposed to be putting, doing. <laughs> I'm never the same. I'm just, more stuff is getting disclosed to me over and over again. And it seems to me that the big recipe for uh, relationships is on page 164. At least my sponsor tells me this. The big recipe for relationships is that See to it that your relationship, it doesn't say now, it would be a good idea, or we, we would like to suggest to you that your relationship with God is right. It says, see to it, it's quite imperative. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others, and this is the great fact for us. Isn't that wonderful? So in other words, if our relationship with our higher power is okay, God and I are doing okay together, then other relationships will work out. But I think what happens often is that being the obsessive compulsive people that we can be, we think if it works out, then my relationship with God can somehow fall in there, you know, <laughs> when I time. <laughs> and it's the other way around. And I think that uh, Bill W. mentioned that yesterday in the letter that somebody had a question about when he said that all these years he had been putting the cart before the horse. That meant that he was, he was concentrating on people, places, and things to give him his full needs and satisfaction and everything. And he'd gotten the whole thing all wrong. And what he learned through the program was that if he could concentrate and focus on the relationship, which is his relationship with God, then everything else would fall into place. I would invite you then to look uh, in your 12 and 12 at another time to find the 70 promises that are there. There's one of them that I call, I mentioned to you on Friday evening that life would take on, uh, that we get wonderful energy, we get into a new state of consciousness. Uh, it's just fabulous all the promises in step uh, 12 and the 12 and 12 and so we're going to close now with a little meditation and I want to kind of invite you to to sort of you know get into a posture where you might want to do that you could just get your I'm sure that if I were to go around this room <clears throat> and ask you, what's your symbol? You'd tell me all kinds of things, wouldn't you? You'd tell me maybe it's the symbol of an animal, maybe it's a butterfly, maybe it's whatever. I have a few symbols in my life. One is a, a butterfly, and the other one is a shell. And the symbol of a shell is, for me, uh, it reminds me of wonderful, spacious, and conscious contact times because I enjoy being close to water I enjoy the beach very much and I get there any time I ever get a chance but I feel a oneness or a, a closeness with the universe and with my higher power 
uh, I always remember when I first got sober, well, as I told you on Friday night, that's where I corrected the big book, you know, down in Huntington Beach. I sat looking out at the Pacific Ocean, putting all my pencil marks to the big book. And, um, but I also understood, I think, as I meditated at the ocean, I think I understood the notion of powerlessness. You know, that somehow God was in charge of all this whole thing and um, that I had very little to do with it and it, it would go on no matter what. And the timelessness of all of that and the timelessness of everything that God had created. And so um, one of the things I do is I, I collect shells and I, I have them as a sort of a symbol of listening, a symbol of powerlessness, a symbol of all sorts of um, wonderful things that have happened to me in my sobriety. Not the least of which is my connection with you people here. That's a real highlight for me, being with you. I talk about you everywhere when I go to other places. I tell everybody in other parts of this country, there's no AA like the AA in Dallas, Central Group. I tell people that a lot. I feel there's a lot of real intensity and seriousness about your program, and I compliment you and congratulate you, and I become inspired by that. And so, in a sort of an attitude of gratitude, I'm inviting you to share with me um, my symbol, which is a shell, and I'm going to give each of you a shell. Because of time and because of numbers, uh, I'm going to have you believe, even if you don't believe it, that there's no such thing as an accident or a coincidence. So Kelly and Libby and I are going to distribute the shells to you, but we're just going to give it to you. We're not going to have you pick, because if we had you pick, you'd be here all day, and I'd miss my airplane. So that's the practical side of things. So we're just going to believe that there's no accident, but I'm not through yet. Now, inside the shell, for those of you who were here yesterday, we talked about the fact that God calls us by our names. And inside the shell, there's a message from Scripture somewhere from God. And I'm going to invite you to put your own name there and read out what your message is for the rest of us to hear. And since I picked this one, I'll keep this one and I'll, I'll share mine first. And then we'll start here with Jim and we'll go all around. And listen to, listen and remember that there are no accidents. Because, and remember that there was no accident for you. That whatever passage you got, that that's the one was meant for you. Okay? So if I could have Kelly and Libby help me here. We'll, we'll just hand you a shell. We won't, we won't have you pick it, okay? Yeah, I knew. Like first graders over there. this. Could you quietly, quietly, quietly open them and re remain reflective just for a few minutes, okay? Just stay with that, whatever God has said to you.
everybody get one? Lisa? of God, think of the God of your understanding, <clears throat> think of the God who calls you by your name, think of the God who doesn't think that anything in your life is insignificant, nothing. very interesting because it has a little baby one inside it. The Your God will exult with joy over you. He will renew you by his love. He will dance with shouts of joy for you as on a day festival. <coughs> 